Uh, welcome to public meeting for week week 10 this week. Uh, yeah, welcome. I'm Jess. I'm a second year statistics student and it's awesome to have you here today. Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to be looking through the Bible today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, about spiritual gifts. Uh, so Tim will be talking on that a little later, but first we have a few announcements. First one is uh, a fortunate universe, which is this Thursday coming. Um, so yeah, 12 p.m. in Murdoch Lecture Theatre. A guy called Luke Barnes is coming, um, and he's a postdoctoral researcher at the Sydney Institute of Astronomy. So he's super duper smart. Um, he's written some smart book uh, on the fine tuning of the universe. Uh, so yeah, it'd be super super interesting. It'll also be really interesting for. Uh, Non-Christians, uh, we've invited, I think, the Science Union and a few uh, other groups along. So, yeah, if you're free, come, invite a friend. You should have got this inside your handout. If you didn't, there'll be some at the front at the end. And now I will get Isaac to announce uh, faculty night. Cool. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, so we've got a faculty night on this Thursday at uh, 5.30 to... Uh, 5 till 6.30. Next Thursday, my bad. There we go. Next Thursday. Um, so what we're going to be doing is um, people will be getting into their faculty groups like science, arts, um, commerce. Um, you'll get to know some people in your own faculty, just chat for a while. Um, but then we'll also go down to um, how we can be working together to evangelise and um, uh, really engage with the students, the non-Christian students in your faculty. Um, and we'll be sharing stories and experiences of what has worked well and what hasn't worked so well. And, um, yeah, staff workers and MTSs will also be mingling around um, during that time and, uh, yeah, helping us work through some things that we can be doing. And, um, yeah, that's um, pretty much it. So, uh, yeah, I'd really encourage you to come along. It should be really good and uh, helpful and informative as well. So I hope to see you there. Thank you, Isaac. We're now going to play a quick video. That is focus. Little quick video. So I'm going to invite Rachel up and give her a little interview. Rachel goes to focus each week, so she can tell us a little more about it. So first, uh, what's your name? 
and what are you studying and what year are you in? Uh, hi, I'm Rachel. I'm second year medical science student. Awesome. And why did you get involved in Focus? Uh, so I first started at Focus last year and at my first meeting, um, yeah, I met people from like different countries and different backgrounds who were all there to um, ask questions and discuss Christianity and that was something really new to me because I didn't think that um, yeah, people would have such different views on Christianity but still be so interested in it and then I just decided to keep coming so that I could like find out more about what these people think. Yeah, awesome. And why would we bother like running a separate um, international Christian student ministry, like separate to Christian Union events? Yeah, um, well, a lot of the international students we get at Focus, um, yeah, I think Focus is a place where they might feel more comfortable because um, for a lot of them, English is not their first language. And uh, many of them also have um, had relatively little experience or exposure to Christianity. So Focus is a place where um, we can uh, discuss the Bible and present Christianity in a way that's clear for them to understand. So the leaders can um, discuss um, the passage that we read in small groups with them uh, at their own pace. And um, Tom, who's um, yeah, our focus staff member, he um, plans out questions and talks that uh, can bring out like the essential points in our passage and the important points about the gospel. So that uh, yeah, even if people just come once, like they get to really know what Christianity is about. Yeah, great. And we have just had a little video on it, but what do you do in a focus meeting? Yeah, so uh, we usually start like each focus meeting um, getting to know one another. So we have a little meet and greet session. And um, yeah, sometimes we do like interviews to get to know people better. And then after that, we'll read the Bible and um, we'll go through some discussion questions um, about the passage that we read. And then at the end of it, um, yeah, we do dinner together. Awesome. And what is your favorite thing about Focus? Um, I guess my favorite thing was just like getting to meet so many people and hearing like so many different views and um, yet seeing that so many people were interested in finding out more about the Bible and who Jesus is. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, last question. What is one thing you have learned or one area you've grown in since you've been going to Focus? Um, I think, well, I'm, I'm still growing um, through it, but I found it really helpful that um, I get to try to explain the Bible to people who um, want to know more about it, and that helps me in like improving my understanding of the Bible as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> So if you haven't heard of Focus before, now you know a bit about it. Uh, yeah, if you've got any friends in your classes or anything like that who are international students or, yeah, students where English isn't their first language, this would be an awesome thing to attend. Um, yes, so keep that in mind. It's on Thursdays. Is it 5 to 8.30? Oh, awesome. 
now I'm going to get uh, Shani, Sam and Laura to come read the Bible and pray for us. And then Tim will be giving us our talk. Hello, I'm Shani. I'm a second year chemistry and design student and I will be reading the first part of the Bible today. So today we are looking at Corinthians 12. So um, you can follow along in your booklets. We are reading 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one is the manifestation... To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm a third-year student studying computer science and software engineering, and I'll be doing the second part of the reading of 1 Corinthians 12 today. So, verses 12 to 31. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, prophets, uh, first of all, apostles, 
second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Hi, my name's Tim. It's great to be with you. You'll find an outline of the talk um, on the uh, opposite sheet of paper from uh, where the, the Bible reading is. I fairly often get asked the question, uh, Tim, do you believe in spiritual gifts? And I must admit, it's a question I feel a bit uncomfortable about uh, and uncomfortable trying to answer. Firstly, because it feels a bit like a test. It feels like I'm on trial in some way, that the person asking the question usually has their very strong views about that subject of spiritual gifts and they want to see whether I'll pass and have the same views they, they have. But for me, it also raises a whole series of questions in my own mind. Like, what's the difference between spiritual gifts and just natural abilities? Things you're born with versus maybe things that come a bit later uh, when you become a Christian. Uh, And what what do they mean by believe in spiritual gifts? They mean, do I believe they exist or do I use them or do I want them to be used? And usually behind the question is a particular way of reading history, a narrative that they've come to believe that goes something like this. In, in the first century, when the church was new, spiritual gifts were being used everywhere. There were healings and tongues and all sorts of great stuff happening. And then that got lost for about 1,900 years. And the church got institutionalised and clericalised and the gifts got lost. But in 1906 or 1960, depending on which version of the narrative you, you hold, suddenly the church rediscovered the gifts of Pentecost and recovered them, the supernatural And so today there are two sorts of churches. There are those that operate in the realm of spiritual gifts and those that don't, and we're sort of polarised between them. So to be asked, do you believe in spiritual gifts, is a little bit like being asked, when did you stop bashing your wife? It makes an assumption that I'm not all that comfortable with, needs to be questioned. Well, the Corinthian church asked the Apostle Paul a question that he answers, begins to answer in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul was the apostle from Jesus who planted that church, went there when there were no Christians there, preached the gospel of Jesus, and a church was gathered. Now, just a a little bit of background. It's helpful to have a profile of the Corinthian church, a little bit of what's going on that we, we can build from this letter of 1 Corinthians. And it looks a bit like this. The two things that really matter and are obvious about the Corinthian church is they're on about status. Corinth was a new city. In a new city, you're not locked in whatever status you were born into. You can change your status. And church became an opportunity to change your status, to to, to get a position and and respect from others. And that had caused huge divisions in the church between one group and another group. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus, some were saying. And these divisions were exacerbated by some of these sorts of uh, activities and experiences and beliefs. Amongst the Corinthians, there were some very gifted people, gifted in all sorts of extraordinary ways that others could easily recognise and see, prophecy and tongues and healings, and some of those sort of spectacular things. And amongst those, speaking in tongues became very prominent, became something that they prized above most of the other gifts. And they made this sort of equation, if you've got spiritual gifts, that makes you a spiritual person. That's a fairly obvious thing to say, isn't it? If you see someone operating in the power of the Spirit, of course you're going to say, well, that person's really spiritual, and if I don't, I'm not. And so 
the status comes out of it. And that led to divisions between the gifted and those not so gifted. The gifted thinking that they were terrific and the non-gifted feeling sometimes inferior to those who had the gifts. And the Corinthians actually think they're a terrific church. It was a happening place. All sorts of exciting things going on every time they met. Boy, you're not sure what to expect. But Paul is pulling his hair out. He can't believe how wrong they've got it. And one of the major problems is this issue of spiritual gifts. And Paul takes three chapters to try and unravel it. Not just chapter 12, but chapter 13 and 14 as well. Uh, And so if you're listening today, this is just the start. This is just the entree. You really need to come back next week and the week after when you get the main course uh, of Paul's response. Now, our context, I think, makes what Paul says in this chapter and the next two chapters a little bit harder to hear because it's a controversial issue. It's polarised Christians, those pro and anti-Pentecostalism, and that's probably true amongst us. What line is Tim going to take is probably a question some of you are asking. Well, can I say up front, I'm not the expert in any sense. My aim today is simply to explain what the Apostle Paul says to the best of my ability and spell out the clear implications that I think are incontrovertible. I'll probably upset everybody at some point. So what's the starting point? Well, their question, verse 1, is now about gifts of the Spirit. They ask the question, Paul responds, although the NIV sort of mucks it up. He simply says, now about spiritual things, people, we're not quite sure what. That is, their question, although it's about spiritual gifts, is a little bit wider than that. It's a question about what makes something spiritual. How do you know when it's the work of the Spirit of God, the true and living God? How do you recognise that work of the Spirit? Because some things feel pretty ordinary and unspiritual, don't they? Here we are, sitting in a university lecture theatre, bits of paper open, reading words, some of us eating lunch, and it feels pretty unspiritual to most of us. Does that mean the the Spirit is not at work here? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? My life often feels pretty humdrum and normal and not much different to my non-Christian friends. Does that mean the Spirit of God is not at work? Where do you see the Spirit? How do you know when the Spirit is at work? The Corinthian answer is... Well, you see it when you see the extraordinary. When people are speaking in tongues, you see it in the expression, in the ecstasy, in the unpredictable. And Paul says, no. You read verse 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that the one who is speaking by the Spirit of... uh, No one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That is, it's not about the expression, it's about the content. See, the expression, he says, he reminds us that when they were pagans, those other pagan religions, they had the expression, they had the ecstasy and the fervency. But the thing that that marks the work of the Spirit is content. It's belief in Jesus as Lord. The crucified Jesus, now resurrected, to be the Lord and ruler of all who can save you. And you see this throughout the New Testament. Romans chapter 10 Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, there's the mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's not just the words, it's the belief in the heart. You will be saved. That's the work of the Spirit. Or in John 15, Jesus says, when the advocate, the Spirit comes, he will testify about me. So how do you know the Spirit's work? Well, the Spirit's work is he testifies about Jesus. If someone comes to change their mind about Jesus convinced that he is the Lord and they put their trust in him to serve him, to save them. 
That is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's done its job brilliantly then. The floodlight is on Jesus. That's how you know the work of the Spirit. It leads you to Jesus. And so the test of whether something is spiritual is not whether it gives you tingly feelings up your spine or some sort of bizarre ability. It's the content. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? If you don't think that's supernatural, think again. And so Paul begins his correction, his reshaping of their thinking and their understanding by saying that's how you recognise the work of the Spirit. That's spiritual. And then in verses 4 to 6, he comes to the, the issue of gifts. And here he says, gifts are a much wider thing. They have a much wider scope than you tend to imagine. The different kinds of gifts, verse 4, but the same Spirit distributes them. And then he moves wider. There are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. To see what he's just done, they're thinking narrowly. Gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says, no, that's not the right way to think about it. There's a huge variety of gifts, and they're not just gifts. Gifts are about abilities, some spectacular, some not, but he can also call them services. Services are activities you do to serve Jesus, and most of those are pretty mundane, aren't they? But to serve Jesus, you might give out bits of paper at the door for CU. You might walk home and do the washing up for your mum because she's not feeling well today or just because you want to do the washing up for her. <laughs> Very mundane, isn't it? You don't need any great abilities. Most of you can do that, can't you? Well, services of the Lord is the way you think about it. Or workings of God. The workings of God include almost everything that you've ever done that's any good. God is at work in you, through you, to do those things. Most of them you can't even remember. They didn't seem significant at the time, but you see how he's broadened it. And he's broadened it from the Spirit to the Spirit and the Son and the Father. It's Trinitarian. Because the, the Trinity always does everything together. It's not something that's the work of the Spirit and the others don't know about it or they wouldn't like it. No, no the, the, the Trinity's always at work together. And so he won't allow their exclusive focus on the Holy Spirit. His third correction is the way in which gifts are distributed. He says they're shared around in verses 7 through to 11. Now, to each one, the manifestation, the, the appearing of the work of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Another, miraculous powers. Another, prophecy. Distinguished between tongues. Speaking in different sorts of tongues. Interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one as he determines. Again, the main point isn't hard to see. Is it? No one has all the gifts, nor do you only have one gift. They're all shared around as the Spirit decides, which means you can't take any credit for the gifts and abilities you've got. You can't be proud of them. You can't be competitive with others. And therefore, the common good, they're not to show off. They're not to give you more status in the group. What God, through his Spirit, gives you is going to be different to what he gives me and to the person next to you. And God is not a moron. He's got more than one idea in his head. When we make ice cubes, God creates snowflakes, everyone different. And so as he gives gifts, they're all different. There's a huge variety. We produce clones. God, in his creativity, creates endless diversity. And notice this list here is not exhaustive. There's some different ones added in verses 28 and 29 when he gives another list. 
And it's hard to work out what most of them actually are. First one he lists is the message of wisdom. What's that? Is it a sudden great ah, flash? Well, it's actually the same phrase he uses back in chapter 2, verse 6, when he says, amongst the mature, I bring a message of wisdom, which is the gospel of Jesus. I'm not sure it's everything that we think these are. And actually, you don't need to know. We probably can't know what most of them were in the Corinthian situation. So beware of people who grab the labels and, and, and apply it to something that they really like as if that gives it some sort of imprimatur. But so far, it's like we've been thinking of each of us as isolated individuals with our own gifts and own abilities, as if we do our own thing. But in verse 12, he moves to something different. He moves to talking about the corporate nature of being a Christian, therefore talking about church. Now, I want to just get you, give you a chance to think for a minute. How do you think about church? Do you mainly think of church as a club? You know, you pay your fees and you turn up when you want when they're giving you something, offering something that you would like. Or is it more like a show? You go along and the entertainment value is terrific. Or a corporation that's selling a product, an organised machine to make it all happen. Or more like a family, warm and intimate, a safe place. Or a building, <laughs> like a location, a one-stop shop. Now, just with the person next to you, would you two just talk together about which one of those options is, reflects your experience of church? Not what you want it to be, but what, what you actually experience church to be like. Yeah, feel free to talk. You can see them on the board, on the screen. Don't have too much fun. I'll stop you there. Now, I need to apologise to you at this point, because I didn't include the one Paul uses, which is a bit misleading, but let's go there, shall we? Because he doesn't think of it as a club or a show or a corporation, a family or a building, but as a body. And you see that in verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ and his body, the church. Is this idea of a body, and you know what a body's like, don't you? Because you've got one. You are one. <laughs> and you know that your, your body has different parts in it, doesn't it? A hand is very different to an eye. A foot is very different to a kidney. They look totally different. They do very different things. And yet, in some magical, mystical way, all those things come together to form a body, a unity that all works together, usually brilliantly. If it doesn't, that means you're sick, you need to get it fixed up. That's what a body is like. Lots of different bits, and yet united. And he says, so it is with Christ. We're not his resurrection body, the one that actually came out of the tomb. We're his body in a different way. You know, it's a metaphor. And what he says is, the unity that we have as a body is not artificial. It's real. Like, if you just went down to the United Department here and picked out... Um, all the different organs you needed to make a body and sort of stuck them together with superglue, would you have an organic unity? No. you just have an assemblage of organs that wouldn't work very well. But we're not like that. See verse 13. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. There is something that unifies us, makes us a united body. Because we're all baptised by the one spirit. We're all indwelt by the one spirit. We all say Jesus is Lord and follow him. And the same spirit energises us all. It's sort of like every cell in our body has the same DNA, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we're united. Notice what he says here. All Christians are baptised by the Spirit. That is, baptism of the Spirit is not some secondary experience you have after you become a Christian. Every Christian is baptised in the Spirit. But we're not clones of one another. We may have a unity. But in verse 14, he begins this idea of diversity. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And he applies this first to those who feel a bit inferior. So he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. So an eye might look down on others. Sorry, might think, I'm not like the others. I can't do what they can do. I haven't got the same gifts that they've got. And that means I don't really belong. I'm useless. I'm inferior. I'm inadequate. And Paul asks bitingly, does feeling like that make you any less part of the body? Of course not. I mean, can the foot... Can the foot really say to the hand, I don't belong to the body, just because you've got five long fingers and I've just got five stumpy toes? Like, no, of course the foot still belongs to the body, even though it feels like it's not the same as the hand. He takes that thinking to its logical conclusion in verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? No, if the whole body was an eye, you had this gigantic eye just walking, rolling around... It wouldn't be lovely, it would be perverse, wouldn't it? It would be atrocious and it wouldn't work. It needs every other part of the body to work. Or if it was an ear and the whole body were an ear, just one gigantic ear, might make a good doorstop, but it couldn't do much else. It really is bizarre, isn't it? And Paul points out to them how bizarre it is. See, imagine all of us could only ever just play the ukulele. Can you imagine that? What sort of body would we be? It'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? When the ukulele ensemble was on, we'd be there, but every other time of the week, we'd be a hopeless mess. We couldn't do anything. No, the fact that we're different is actually what God wants. Your differences, he says in verse 18, are a good thing. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You're part of the body, he says. But then he applies it to the superior In verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. It's tempting to think, well, I've got my gifts. I've got all I want. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-satisfied. You've got nothing to contribute to me because I've got all that's needed. Rarely said, but often implied. And Paul says, don't be stupid. (laughs) It's just not true. So imagine you walked out of this lecture theatre and you saw a kidney sitting on the, the bench out there. Or you saw a hand sitting on the bench out there. What are you going to say to the hand? I presume you're going to say, come on, you need a body. Without the lungs, without without the heart, without the veins, without the the nerves, without the nutrition that comes through the stomach, you're going to die pretty quick. A hand on its own is just useless. 
And I presume as well you're going to say, there's a body around here somewhere without a hand, and it's not doing real well. It's getting pretty sick. Because they're, well, they can't feed themselves, but also they can't use Facebook. Can you imagine that? (laughs) See, Paul Paul says, you're dumb. It really is a, a dumb thing to think you don't need others. We need all the parts. They're all indispensable for a healthy, effective body. Even the weaker, more embarrassing bits he talks about, the less honourable bits, we'd probably call them orifices. And I won't put a picture up. You'll be pleased to know. (laughs) Even those we treat with special care and affection and protection. And so he says in verse 23, uh, the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, the parts that are unpresentable we're treated with special modesty. And so 25, so, so there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. See what he's saying? God has made us interdependent with each other. We need each other. We're dependent on each other. We complement one another in our differences. And it only works when each brings their different contribution and contributes it to the body, to the whole. Now, it's awfully inconvenient that God does it that way. I not prefer to be self-sufficient and independent. It's a hassle having to get on with others. You know that from group projects, don't you? But God wants a people. God wants a unified body, a church, where there is difference and diversity that leads through its dependence to unity. So our differences draw us together instead of pushing us apart. And so when we see other people who are different to ourselves, instead of saying, oh, I don't need you, we say, I do need you. You're different to me. God has given you as a gift to me, to us, and me to you and the rest, which is so different to what the Corinthians were thinking. And then in verses 27 to 30, he applies that thinking directly to them as a church. He says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ. That is, you Corinthians, as a local church, and each one of you is a part of it, as God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then uh, miracle workers, etc. See how he applies it to them. This local church is not part of the wider body of Christ. No, this local church is the body of Christ. It's a body, full body. And each person is part of it. Each person is like an organ, a a hand, a a foot, an eye, an ear in that body. Can you see why churchless Christianity then is an anomaly? It's a sort of contradiction in terms. It's like seeing the hand sitting on the bench out there. You say, no, you you can't exist on your own. God has made you to be part of a body. And in each church, God has placed a variety of people and gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, powers, gifts of healings, helping, steerings, various tongues. In case you haven't got the point, he asks a string of rhetorical questions in verse 29, 30, are all apostles. And in Greek, you can ask a question indicating the answer you expect. And he asks it here, expecting the answer no. It's like, they're not all apostles, are they? That's how we do it in English. They don't all speak in tongues. They're not all prophets. No, there's differences. No one person has all the gifts. No one gift is given to all the people. No, there are differences. And that was God's decision to make you like that. God gave you the abilities you have and didn't give you the other abilities you don't have. And notice in passing that he says not all speak in tongues. Pentecostalism, when it says... The only sign of being a genuine Christian in speaking in tongues is clearly contrary to what Paul is saying. 
But then in verse 31, he says something really bizarre. He says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Do you see how bizarre that is? He's just talked about the unity of God's church um, in which all are indispensable, all are essential, and therefore we assume equally important. But he says some are greater. Some gifts are greater than others. And presumably if they're greater, you can rank them, which is exactly what he's done in verse 28. He does actually mean there are greater gifts. If that's a conundrum for you, come back next week and the week after and Paul will solve it for you. Well, let's think through some of the implications for us. The first is about being spiritual. How do you work out when and where God's spirit is at work? Is God's spirit at work here today in CU? Some would say only when some spectacular gifts of the spirit are in evidence, whether that's tongues or healings or prophecies, spontaneous, extraordinary things. But if it's planned and prepared, normal, then that's just human. It's not the work of the Spirit. But Paul disagrees. If people are being moved to believe in Jesus as Lord, that is the work of the Spirit. It's been fantastic this semester exploring Mark's Gospel. And Jesus has becoming, I hope, clear for you, attractive for you, strong, believable, wonderful as a Saviour, the Lord with authority over all. I hope you've been moved by the Spirit to trust him as Lord, to rejoice in him as, in him as Saviour. That is the work of the Spirit. I know for some of you that's actually been a totally new thing. You've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit has been at work powerfully. But those who claim that churches, only churches with certain gifts are moving in the realm of the Spirit are wrong. It's not true. And so if you've been unsettled, made to feel second class or missing out because that's not you, please don't feel that. If you're trusting Jesus as Lord, you are experiencing the deep, powerful work of the Spirit. Secondly, me and my gifts. We need to see our abilities, talents, capacities for what they are. They are gifts from God. And you've got lots. God's been very generous to you and to me. If you feel like you've got less or different to others, well, that's God's choice. Don't stress about it. And it also means you can't take credit for your gifts. There's no status in having any particular gifts. But I think that flies in the face of our culture. From, from when you started school, your giftedness was a very important part of who you were and what you could do, especially if you were talented. And so we have PAC programs and talented programs, both in academia and in sport. And it's talent that really matters. It's interesting, around uni I have conversations with people often and uh, there's more status in being clever than working hard, I reckon. Like, if you do well in an exam and you can shrug it off and say, oh, well, I didn't work very hard for that. Man, you've really scored. You must be very clever. But if you really had to flog your guts out to get that mark, well, that's not so good, is it? Which is just completely the wrong way around, isn't it? Because whatever talents you've got were given to you. They're just a gift, a present. You did nothing to earn them. Why can you take any credit for them? The second thing is, although they're given to you, they're actually given to the body. See, why has the eye in our body got the capacity to see? So we can say to the hand, listen, I can see, you can't, to you. No, no. The eye can see, so the hand can do the eye-hand coordination, can't it? Without the, without the eye, the hand can't do its work. If, if the eye hasn't got the hand, nothing happens. They need each other. The ability of the eye belongs to the whole body. But that's not how we tend to see ourselves. 
See, it's my life, it's my abilities for my enjoyment and my advancement. I like my independence, I like my autonomy. I met a guy one day who taught me a very valuable lesson about this. He was from the country of Cameroon, which for those who don't know is in Central Africa. Jet Black spoke French, we had to speak through an interpreter. And I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I work for the, French, the Cameroon Embassy in Paris. I said, what sort of stuff do you do? He said, I'm a lawyer. I said, boy, it must have been hard to, to, to qualify as a lawyer. He said, yeah, it was pretty hard. I said, do you, get to, do you go back to home very often? He said, yeah, actually, I'm going next month. Oh, what are you going to do? Will you see your family? He said, yeah, actually, I'm going for a family conference. I said, that sounds great. Who's going to be there? And he listed all his, his parents, his siblings, his uncles, his aunts, all the cousins, the grandparents. I said, boy, that's going to be a big party, isn't it? Uh, 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 is, is that what it's for? Is that a birthday party or something? He said, no, we're having a family conference. I said, what for? He said, to decide how to spend my salary. And I did a sort of double take. What do you mean? I mean, my salary is my salary, isn't it? Sure, I share it with my wife. Try and hide some things from her, but I share it with my wife. <laughs> he said, well, I managed to go through uni because my uncle paid my fees. And now that I'm earning a salary, I'm one of the only people in the extended family who does, my salary belongs to the family. They're going to decide how it's going to be spent. I think probably what's going to happen is my cousin who's 10, is going to be, his school fees and then uni fees are going to be paid so he can become an engineer. That's one of the main ways my income's going to be, going to be spent. I thought, that is bizarre. That's a really different way of thinking, isn't it? He sees himself as part of a family. Well, actually part of a body. What's his belongs to the whole family. And what is mine belongs to the body that I'm part of. It doesn't belong to me. Sure, I have to make decisions about it, but it actually belongs to the body. All my abilities, all my capacity, God has given for common good, not, not for me. It's a very different way of thinking. It's a radical change. And that's where Paul starts. Think differently. He doesn't just say behave differently. He says think differently about the work of the spirit, about spiritual gifts, and about the body. And if you think differently, it'll start to change your behaviour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for putting us in the body. Thank you for the gifts you've given us. And we pray that you'd help us to understand them as you mean us to and not just make it up for ourselves. For Jesus' sake. Amen.